back to episode 20 of 52 Founders. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and here with me this week is Roy Pereira, founder and CEO of Zoom.ai, an automated assistant for your workday. Zoom.ai was born from the need to minimize the distractions at work from operational tasks that limit our productivity, and it's been a company I've been watching for quite some time now. As a seasoned entrepreneur, Roy is no stranger to starting a company from the ground up. Speaking with him this week made me realize just why VCs love investing in serial founders, and I can't wait for you all to take a listen. so much for being on my show. As I mentioned to you earlier, I'm a very big fan of Zoom. So this is a, a real treat for me. Oh, thanks, Christina. Nice to be on your show, obviously. So why don't you start telling us about Zoom and, and what it is to start? Sure. So Zoom.ai is a new startup that's been around for about 13 months. And, and uh, it's focusing on uh, creating an automated executive admin for everyone in the workplace. And so um, not for people who actually have real human executive admins. Um, they're pretty good. Uh, you know, humans are hard to, uh, to beat. Uh, but there's a large percentage, 99% of most companies, uh, of their employees don't have any sort of assistance. And there's a lot of stuff that they have to do on a daily basis that doesn't really have much to do with their jobs. Um, but they have to do it because uh, they don't have anybody else to do that. And so things like setting up uh, meetings, yes, of course, um, but also you know finding out information about what's going on, uh, HR issues, expense tracking, um, getting that flight to that meeting, uh, and so forth. All of those things take a lot of time, and there's a ton of different tools that we all use. And so Zoom is is basically trying to offload a lot of those low value tasks that we all have to do. Yeah. And actually one, one feature I love the most is the warm introductions. You know, I found that that was really unique um, in this space from what you see with some competitors of yours. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's about looking at the life cycle of a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so setting up a meeting with someone is kind of halfway really, if you think about it. Um, and obviously, you know, rescheduling it, canceling it, uh, getting to that meeting, whether you need an Uber or a flight uh, and so forth, those are uh, in the middle and then and then uh, geared toward the end. But at the beginning, you probably don't know the person very much. And so there's two mm-hmm. things we do. One is we can offer the introduction uh, using our own data, by the way, because uh, we have a tremendous amount of data on both who you know as well as all of your other uh, uh, contacts and people on our system. And so we're trying to figure out uh, who you know best that knows the other person best. Uh, and we do that through a bunch of different algorithms. And then we initiate the request for that warm introduction. So we still leave it up to the humans to actually set that up. Even mm-hmm. though we have all the data, uh, we could just hand you over there their email address and maybe phone number, but that's not really warm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's definitely uh, uh, one of the very first things that you possibly will do before meeting. The other thing too that we do that's really super helpful is we get you prepared for that meeting. Um, and that's by giving you a briefing of who you're about to meet. Mm-hmm. And our briefing 
is by far the most substantive uh, of any other service that I've ever seen. And all of our customers say the same thing. Uh, mm-hmm. We go into detail like their interests, uh, your similarities with that other person, um, your personality or their, sorry, their personality uh, based off of um, uh, what they do online. Uh, and it's pretty freaky because it's actually really accurate. And so by the time you, you walk into that meeting with someone, you actually know a lot about them. You know how to do uh, the small talk at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. So instead of you, you know, looking and searching for them for 15 minutes before your meeting, we'll do that for you. No, I think the preparedness is, is really a differentiator. Um, and so I really have been loving that feature. And so when did the idea for Zoom, you know, come up? How did you, what was the opportunity that you saw? Yeah, it's, that's a really good question. And, and every startup has this genesis story. And mm-hmm. mine basically starts at the end of my last startup. Um, so uh, I founded a company called Shiny Ads. Uh, and we didn't make ads very shiny, but we, uh, we were in the advertising technology space. And we were acquired by a larger company, uh, which was awesome. Uh, and so we all started to work for this larger company. And um, there wasn't a lot of support um, in terms of doing your job at this company. And I thought, you know, maybe this is odd. And the more research I did, the more I realized that that's actually how most companies outside of, say, legal and banking, um, that's how they operate today. They've become very lean and they've gotten rid of a lot of what you would call assistance within the workforce so not just, say, your personal assistant or a, an executive admin, but also things like HR, people that are there to, to take your questions or IT. Uh, and so a lot of times you're just given this self-serve interface, right? For like HR, you get a login to Workday. Okay, so now I have to figure out Workday. Um, and of course, you know, you have your Google Calendar or Microsoft Office Calendar that you are the one that manages it. And so uh, I found very quickly that I didn't really have a lot of time to actually do my real work, which was really annoying. Um, I, you know, I'm a startup person. I, I want to hustle and move, mm-hmm. uh, and I wasn't able to. So I felt very unproductive. Uh, and the more yeah. I thought about it, the more I realized that it wasn't that I needed something to set up meetings, because there are a few options out there, uh, and a lot of them are great. Um, but they only do meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really a bigger issue overall. Uh, I needed help with a lot of different things. And I really did not want 10 different tools because I already have 10 different tools. I, I don't want to du- duplicate it. Um, and so I started thinking about that. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I wanted to interact with this, uh, say, automated assistant um, very much like I would interact with, say, a real assistant, uh, which is chat. Uh, I mean, all of us are on chat platform today. Most of us have multiple chat platforms open during the work day. Um, email to a lot of people within the workforce is um, not that efficient anymore. So we're on Slack or we're on some other chat uh, mm. application. And so I wanted it to be uh, resident within those uh, applications because I wanted to converse because I think that's so natural and you know we don't have to learn another UI which is another problem right 
Uh, and so I wanted all of those. And I, I, I thought long and hard about, can I do this? Is the technology here? And um, eventually I said, yeah, it, it's here. Uh, let, 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 let's start this. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about AI companies to me is that the sale becomes about the opportunity cost of your time in addition to product features. But really the way you position it is, you know, how much time are you wasting and money, you know, doing these remedial tasks that we have to do in our day to day life? And how can you be and, you know, go beyond that and be an even better version of yourself? Right. And I mean, the 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 uh, the employee happiness is something that is very hard to to measure. Um, yeah. I mean, you can measure it in terms of turnover and so forth. Um, and even, you know, how cool of a tech stack does the, your company have, which is actually a really important question to a lot of people, because, uh, you know, younger demographic that's entering the workforce is is expecting a certain modern um, tool set. And most enterprises aren't there. They're not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's why they're on chat, because that's what they know and that's what they love. Uh, and, and so I wanted to make sure that this was modern enough, but also useful. Um, and yeah. to your point about, uh, uh, you know, productivity and so forth, we actually uh, did a uh, business case with uh, a marquee customer of ours. And they found, because of scale, they had several thousand employees, they found about $48 million worth of savings in a year based off of offloading um, some of these tasks to Zoom, um, which is a huge amount, right? So yeah. it's because, obviously, they had um, over 5,000 employees. But Yeah, no, I don't doubt it, though. And so before we get into your background, I wanted to ask you, since you're based in Toronto, um, I think actually you're my first Canadian entrepreneur. So I'd love to know about the Canadian tech scene and, and kind of where you see the startup scene going. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I'm a huge proponent of of Toronto and, and Canada in general. Uh, I've lived in Silicon Valley during the dot-com and dot-crash uh, dot <laughs> uh, <laughs> eras. Um, but I moved here and I am a Canadian, but and I moved back, I guess, after the dot com crash. And I've seen Toronto grow. Uh, it's always had great talent. A lot of the talent was south of the border, so in either Boston, New York, or Silicon Valley. Um, some of that talent has come back, but the talent here has grown as well. And it's because of our great schools, University of Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, within Toronto itself, is the best machine learning. Uh, AI university in the world today because of deep learning. Um, We have University of Waterloo, which is one of the top math schools in the world, which is just an hour's uh, drive west outside of Toronto. Um, And this is a school, for example, where Microsoft would come in and hire the entire graduating class. And that was their secret uh, uh, in the uh, the 90s, for example. Um, And Google started to do the same thing. And um, so we have a lot of great talent here. Yeah. Uh, Toronto today is the third largest technology hub in North America. Oh, wow. Sometimes surprising because, um, yeah. you know, Canadians are so quiet, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, New York, obviously, number two. And then, you know, obviously, Silicon Valley is number one in terms of density. Uh, but Toronto is number three. You know, we have a ton of opportunity here, a ton of startups, a mm. ton of great companies. Um, but um, 
we the level of investment capital, for example, although it's grown substantially in the last 10 years, is still not at the same kind of ratios that you would actually see, say, in Boston or New York. Um, and so we actually do get quite a lot of um, East Coast VCs coming up mm-hmm. to Toronto as well. Yeah, that makes I mean, that makes sense. I think with the university, to your point, um, that's now what I'm seeing in Chicago. You know, it's been really interesting living here when you have top universities in the area. But for some reason, um, I think that's why the startup scene is getting stronger and stronger. But what I'm really interested in, too, is that, you know, how do you think that you, you've you lived in the Valley? How do you think building a company outside it compares? Do you feel that underdog quality? Because I, well, the last startup I worked for was based in Madison. And it was a point of pride for us. You know, they really love being built outside the valley. Yeah, obviously pros and cons to everything in life. Um, the pro is that I believe we can run a much leaner startup or a company here in Toronto. Even though Toronto is one of the more expensive cities in North America um, in terms of living, cost of living, uh, cost of housing, for example. But uh, we can definitely run very lean um, and I've seen this with my last company, whereas our our direct competitors were out of New York and San Francisco, and we saw how much capital they have to, they had to raise just to do salaries um, versus what we had to raise. Um, and so I, I know for a fact that it's much much cheaper to, to run a, a startup here. Uh, we also have government uh, grants and and uh, tax credits to offset a lot of our um, innovation uh, for engineers, for example. So that that cuts down our costs tremendously as well. Um, now, obviously, the con is that um, you, you don't have that water cooler effect where, like, you're going out to, say, a restaurant, a bar, an event, and you bump into uh, – you know, a big VC <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, you hit it off and all of a sudden you, you have a $5 million deal on the table. Um, that's less likely up in Toronto or anywhere else. I mean, I mean, it's more likely in Toronto than say, I don't know, uh, Kansas city, not to pick on Kansas, but, um, but uh, it's still not even close to what you would see in the Valley, but really there's no other place like the Valley either. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, Although I'm starting to like the um, the outside of the valley feel as of late, but anyway, now now it's time to switch gears. Um, I'm sorry. Usually my intros aren't that long, but I, I've been I've been really fascinated by what you've been saying so far. So excuse my follow ups. Um, so you know the point of Fifty Two Founders is to really think about what in your life has kind of led you to this riskier career path of being an entrepreneur. And so I'd love to learn more about what your childhood was like and where you grew up, kind of any influences on your choices for your career later in life. Yeah, it's a really good question. I've, I've been asked this a few times um, and eventually I had to come up with an answer. I, I'm not <laughs> even sure if it's true. Uh, I think it is. I, I grew up uh, um, a single child uh, with uh, a single parent and um, we didn't grow up very wealthy at all. Um, and um, I always was thinking about bringing in extra income for some reason. Um, and, you know, I had the normal job. I was, you know, pizza guy at one point when I was really young. Um, I was even a, an accountant, which was a horrible, horrible experience. 
but uh, uh, I I always thought about hey how do I uh, generate income uh, by you know buying uh, something at a low price and then selling it for a higher price kind of thing mm-hmm. um, and I was doing that really really early I was like 11 years old or something uh, not not in scale of course and then I started to get excited about computer science. Um, I saw an example of, of um, a, a computer program that asked for my name and then spit out some, some string and said, hello, Roy. And I'm like, oh, wow, how did I do that? And I was like, I was fascinated. Uh, and it was obviously a really, really basic program, but to me, it just kind of blew open my mind. Um, and then uh you know, I'm a fan of, of science fiction, science fiction, and I saw Star Wars, and I'm like, "Wow, that is so cool!" Uh, and I knew that uh, my brain was just wired for that, uh, for tech, uh, and so I started coding. And um, at one point, I started selling some of my software. And at that critical point, I realized that it's the best feeling in the world when someone values what you've built. And that uh, enough to pay you money, and I actually built that piece of software with zero costs, other than say my time, because I'm mm. basically using electrons, uh, you know, keystrokes, uh, and that was fascinating to me because that's like 100% ROI right there, right? Um, and so I I uh, I got hooked and. Um, I built a startup right off, uh, out of university. I, in fact, I actually didn't even finish university. I was just so excited about this whole concept. I, uh, I left university. I started a, uh, a little startup. Uh, it paid the rent. It, it paid for beer. It paid for parties. It was awesome. <laughs> I learned a lot, and I learned that I didn't know a lot either, which was the best learning. And so I said, if I'm really going to do this, I'm, I'm going to have to figure out how to actually run a startup. Uh, like basically how to run a company Um, because I was a math geek. And and so I actually uh, shuttered my startup and started uh, joined a real startup. And that was really interesting. I learned quite a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I went down to Silicon Valley. Um, I came back up and all along, you know, I'm doing both uh, engineering, but then I transition over to marketing, product management and so forth. So I want to, I want to figure out how, all of these pieces fit in together in a company. Um, and then eventually I start doing startups again, because now I have a better base about how companies actually run. And so did you do those marketing positions of product management because you knew that you were going to be a founder yet again, and that was the best tool in your arsenal to kind of learn about a business in its entirety? Yeah, I did. Uh, I mean, engineering is great. Um, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, fluffiness, you know, it either works or doesn't. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to understand the customer's point of view. I, I wanted to understand how products are designed, um, how they are sold, priced, because I think that's really important. And uh, even sold in terms of going out and making the sales, I would actually go out with salespeople um, to help them sell as well, just to get that understanding. Um, I even uh, helped with customer support to understand that piece as well. And um, I wanted to be well-rounded. Like I wanted to understand what all the gears 
uh, did inside of a company because that's how I kind of visualize it. So that the next time that I did a new another company, I would actually make sure that the gears are working, um, mm. and, and that was all based off the lessons learned from the very first startup where I realized that this is awesome. I love it, but um, I don't know what I'm doing at the time. Yeah, I, I love that. I think you sound very introspective, which is a quality I think that founders um, should definitely have. And at least I think, you know, it makes you more successful when you know, you know, to your point, you know what you don't know. Um, and, and it could be hard to admit a lot of the time in terms of ego, but I think once you come to terms with what you don't know, it's the best way you can move forward. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I've learned everything. I certainly don't. <laughs> um, I don't think anyone does. And what you do learn, like I'll give you an example. I was a VP of marketing at a publicly traded company. Um, I, actually, I had a couple of them. Um, and the things that I did then, I would not do now because marketing has changed. And so that's one thing that uh, I realized as well. Things change and you also, you obviously have to keep up to it. And if you don't, um, then you have to hire people that know. And there's a lot of things that I don't know. So I always look for people to bring on board that are much, much better in me than me in those mm-hmm. fields. Yeah, I think, well, that's definitely the best way to do it. And so, you know, when... You've been an investor and an advisor to startups as well. So what advice do you give to first-time founders? Oh, yeah. Uh, and and, th- and this is something that I love doing. I, I love coaching. Um, it's sort of like paying it forward. Um, mm-hmm. It's helped me a lot. Uh, even when, you know, before I became an, an angel investor and all I really had was my time to give and maybe some piece of advice. Um, and... Uh, I always tell them that if this is your first time at it, um, there's a, a lot for you to learn. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, the way that I visualize it is that you're in a dark room without the lights on and there's a lot of furniture. <laughs> and uh, if you don't know where you're going, <laughs> oh, I you, love that. Ends are going to hurt a lot. Uh, and so instead of getting hurt uh, and de- delayed, which is actually your biggest foe as a startup, it's time. Time is your biggest competitor. Um, and because you're bumping into that furniture, you're taking longer to get to the other side of the, of the room to turn the light on. And so it's, it's like have a coffee with someone that's been there before. Um, you know, befriend. There's a lot and a lot of people within these ecosystems and even outside, like you could call up someone in Chicago or, or San Francisco, right? And then they'll take your call. Yeah, I, I, I love that analogy. I think that could be one of the best ones I've ever heard, actually, um, in terms of entrepreneurship. And so, you know, you talked about hiring and what do you think is important to consider when picking your co-founder? Yeah, you know, the, I'll be honest with you. I've never had a, a co-founder. <laughs> Uh, and so I'm uh, the exception to the rule. Uh, I would not suggest people do what I do, um, which is start companies by yourself. Uh, I think it's incredibly harder to do that. Um, you have a, a lot of negatives that you have to overcome. Uh, whereas if you have a, a good set of founders, hopefully they their talents are different than your talents. And so you can address problems uh, better and faster. Um, but 
yeah, I've, I've always done this by myself um, and pushed really, really hard. And then at some point uh, when I've gotten the product or the company up to a, a milestone that I'm comfortable with, uh, I'll start bringing in people, uh, early founders, basically, or late founders, I guess, early employees. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So why do you not, you know, if you don't recommend it, then why have you done it, I guess, each time? I think it's a very individualistic thing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm a very driven person. And when I get an idea, yeah, I'm I'm like one of those dogs that like, you know, smells a duck or something. And it just like races towards that duck <laughs> uh, to get it. I, I mean, that's a horrible analogy. I, I hate hunting, but, um, <laughs> you know, and so when I get something in my head, uh, I play around with it. And, and, and then I just like explode and I go and I don't do anything. I barely sleep. I just go, I do research, I do prototypes. Uh, and I, and I find it's kind of hard to do that, um, with, uh, a founder, uh, co-founder or co-founders, um, mm. because I'm, I'm just racing so fast. Makes sense. To be honest, I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe I'm just an asshole and I, I don't get along <laughs> with people. <laughs> no, it's okay. Some people prefer to be the lone wolf. Um, and so we're getting towards the end. So I'm going to ask you a few fun questions to round out the interview. So what is uh, the best book for a founder to read? My most memorable book, and this is getting a little old, but it's uh, uh, the startup story. Um, and it was the story of Go, which was this mobile company back in the 90s that was the first handheld it was kind of like a a, a big phone if you will uh, mm-hmm. or a big uh, pda if you remember those and how they got demolished by their so-called partners microsoft and all of these other companies that uh, they were so far ahead uh, and it's it's kind of like a shakespearean story because it, it's it's a tragedy and it's always made me think about uh, when I partner with these larger companies, and you always have to do that as a startup, you always have to keep in the back of your head that um, some of them, and maybe most of them, are just going to tear you apart. <laughs> so it, it, it instills a sense of paranoia with me. And it was a great read as well. Yes, definitely interesting. And so what area other than AI of tech do you see really taking off in 2017? I consider AI or artificial intelligence, um, and you can you can change that A actually. Um, sometimes we call it automation intelligence, mm-hmm. <laughs> augmented intelligence, because yep. um, AI itself is kind of generic, and I, I think we're still quite a ways away uh, from true AI. And and when it, we we do get there, I think it's actually going to be quite scary, actually. But that's a different story. Um, and I think every company needs a little bit of AI. It's going to be just baseline. Everyone needs some machine learning. Mm-hmm. Um, that is plentiful. And it's so beneficial for almost any company to, to uh, experiment and to figure out how to utilize that. So everyone needs it. I don't think you should be a, a machine learning or an AI company specifically. Um, and I mean, we are basically a, a chat platform. Um, or we operate in chat platforms. That's our user interface. But that is, to me, just a user interface. Um, it's like saying, hey, we're a web company. We're not a <laughs> chat company. Yeah. 
we just have to have our UI there. Uh, and so I think a lot of companies will gravitate towards a chat UI as well. It's kind of like having a mobile app for certain things, a web app for, for your default user interface. And then for those tasks that are much better in, in a chat environment, also having that. Um, and so that, I think, is also going to be commonplace across all of the uh, most companies. Yeah, I think that's what uh, the big quote is, you know, people are moving from mobile first to AI first. Um, so you see the shift already happening. But and so and finally, if you could interview one founder, who would you most want to interview and why? Wow. You know, uh, being cheesy, I would say Steve Jobs. Uh, that would be interesting, uh, maybe scary. Uh, <laughs> I, I met Steve. Uh, I was actually living in Palo Alto, uh, about a mile away from Steve. Um, when he was still alive, and I bumped into him several times. Seemed like a very intense person. Um, yeah. But obviously, what he did, uh, just from pure wi- willing it to be done, uh, was impressive. Um, so yeah, definitely him. Um, Bill Gates would be interesting, uh, especially how he's evolved from Mr. Microsoft to what he does now. Um, mm-hmm. I think that would be very, very interesting as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm actually slowly getting through the Steve Jobs biography now. So what happened with Microsoft recently too, since they transitioned from Steve Ballmer, uh, very, very impressive. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, Roy, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. So thank you so very much for coming on my show. Oh, thank you, Christina. That's a wrap for episode 20 of 52 Founders. Be sure to check out 52founders.com and follow us on Twitter at 52founders to stay up to date. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and I'll see you next week for another episode.